Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Naturalist Capitalist. It was a fine weekend down around D.C. in the Beltway area. Uh, Spike Cohen, Dave DeCamp, and I went to a free Assange rally, and it was kind of refreshing to see anti-war left-wingers. I didn't know they still existed, but uh, Jill Stein was there. Um, there are lots of, um, lots of Jimmy Dore supporters, lots of Green Party people. Uh, Chris Hedges was there. Uh, it was probably 90% left-wingers, but I don't know. It was kind of cool. I don't really see that much anymore. So it was an interesting experience. And I like kind of, I also went to a Republican event earlier last week. And I kind of like being in environments where people disagree with me on stuff, but we have some sort of single issue coalition or whatever. So that was fun. Uh, and I did a speech at the Liberty Speaks event on the history of Zionism and Israel-Palestine uh, conflict and how that could be solved peacefully and then sort of use New Hampshire as an example of people who believe in some sort of cultural homogeny moving to one area and trying to uh, spread their ideas peacefully. So I'll have that video up soon. But anyway, uh, on the show today, he's uh, my ex-husband, uh, my long lost lover, Clint Russell from Liberty Lockdown. How you doing, honey? How dare you call me your ex-husband? That's very <laughs> offensive. Uh, I'm I'm happy to be here, man. Uh, you know, we only got a couple hours left before the nukes fly, so it's like, let's let's talk. Yeah, let's spend them together. You know, like as long as I'm <laughs> in the digital arms of the man I love when the nukes exactly. fly, then you know I'll be good. So exactly, dude. I just <laughs> I just want to look into your eyes as the mushroom cloud lights up behind me. It's going to be beautiful. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm being, I'm, I'm, it's a little gallows humor here, obviously. I, I don't think it's imminent or anything like that, but um, I do think we're on a bad trajectory. And I, I feel like if we don't discuss this, if the libertarians once again fail to address the most clear and present danger that the American people are facing, not met, not to mention the world, uh, it's a huge, huge mistake. And, you know, you're talking about age of consent laws, right? Uh, no, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Believe it or not, I'm not talking about that. Yeah. God, what a bizarre thing to bring up. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I agree. It's kind of scary and terrifying. And um, you, uh, do you want to plug that? You actually have a huge episode dropping tonight that you uh, have talked yeah. about all this stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, you know, I, I'm sure other people have done it, but I haven't seen one that was, you know, quite as concise as I wanted it to be. So I did an hour solo episode breaking down, you know, a ton of reporting from Caitlin Johnstone to Aaron Mate to, you know, Scott and the anti-war people. And I just kind of pieced it all together. And I, I also went out and I found as much as I could audio clips and video clips of different politicians confirming essentially my assessment as to what's transpired over there in the lead up to the war. And uh, I just think it's, it's going to, it's going to open some eyes. You know, I think if people are are willing to, uh, it's probably not going to be a ton of new information to libertarians, but even to them, I think I will present to them some things that they aren't aware of. Uh, but for the non-libertarian crowd in particular, I think if it gets shared around, if you know it can get some level of virality, uh, it would be a real earth mover. Um, so we'll see what happens. It's the best thing he's ever done is what he said. So that's pretty good because Clint's done a lot of great stuff. So go check out well, his channel. Got it linked in the description. Uh, subscribe if you haven't already. Uh, Liberty Lockdown channel. So 
Clint, you've kind of carved out a place for yourself in the recent months talking about ESG. I've talked about it a little bit on the show, but not nearly enough. Um, and with Europe dry running the Green New Deal for us, I figured, uh, you know, it was kind of a relevant topic to talk about. Uh, and I actually got to go to one of your talks in Vegas during Freedom Fest where you were on a panel talking about this. And I noticed at the panel that you were kind of the only one who seemed researched on the history of the subject and why this is actually happening. The other two were kind of saying, you know, maybe this means that we just can't have a free market. And, you know, this is one of the downfalls of it. And you were pointing to the fact that this was actually a very intentional uh, orchestrated thing that's been going on for years. So why don't you just uh, start us from the top with who was behind this, where the idea came from and how it was originally implemented? Sure. Um, I mean, there's some arguments as to the history where the idea originally arose. But what I focused on was how it came into the halls of power, because that's really what matters, right? Like you can have as many bad ideas as you want. And if you don't have the government to enforce them, well, then who gives a shit? Um, unfortunately, also, not... before we get going, I, I should I actually I should have said this. Could you oh, go ahead. describe what it is to ESG? I'm sure a bunch of people have heard it. But what does it stand for? What does it mean? Yeah, sure. It's just environmental, social, and governance. Uh, environment being the environment, social being primarily social justice, uh, you know, the woke principles. And then governance, which is like, is your management open to hearing, you know, sexual assault claims? Are they looking at hiring quotas for diversity on your board? Things of that nature. Um, and it's it's been, well, I'll, I'll do the history and then I'll explain how it's been sure. implemented in, into the business world more broadly. Um, so in 2000, there was, I, I haven't, I didn't expect to talk about this, so I haven't re read it, uh, you know, spruced up in a, in a couple months. So I'm going to forget some of the names of like the papers and things that were written, but it, it's kind of irrelevant. The The broader point is, is pretty, pretty easy to explain. In 2000, there was an initiative, basically a green initiative that the United Nations came together to push and, and they, they wrote papers on it. It was actually held in New York City, which is kind of unusual because it's, you know, the United Nations. Um, at that meeting, there's all the biggest business people in the world and all the biggest politicians in, in the world at the time. By 2004, they essentially have a, a paper that lays out this concept of ESG. I don't remember if it was actually titled exactly that, but it was essentially migrating away from shareholder capitalism where you focus, you have a fiduciary responsibility, which means you put your investors interest above your own and you focus on profits. Uh, and they wanted to get the business world on the same page as the global governments when it came to making sure that stakeholders, so people that live in the countries where you have mining or something to that effect would also be taken into consideration along with profit, or some might even say above profit. Um, basically, it, from its inception, in my view, as a former money manager, it was a violation of the fiduciary responsibility of any money manager that would potentially consider it. So the way that they couched it, though, was that, well, Sure, this may be short-term unprofitable, but long-term more profitable. And ultimately, there's enough investor interest in kind of green investment strategies that you can still not just survive, but in fact, thrive. That was the argument, that they would actually make better returns by not focusing on profit. <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> it didn't exactly work out. Um, and it's now been proven that that on average, the yields 
for uh, investment you know, ETFs and things like that, the focus on ESG, they, they underperform versus other investment uh, ETFs. So not, not too surprising there, but long story short, by 2004, 2006, it's kind of like, it's, it's in the ether. They have papers on it. It's, it's starting to kind of pick up steam by 2010, 2012, you have the world economic forum and, and their meetings in Davos annually, where they get all of the political class, as well as the biggest businessmen, uh, the shotgun blast yeah that's my that's where i live just there i'll okay oh <laughs> okay. uh, i was like oh my god the feds are going after reed uh <laughs> so by like 2010 2012 you have the world economic forum that's pushing it in, in a really big fashion and you surprisingly you also have the biggest businesses on the planet that are getting in line with it so at the time i was you know, trying to figure out why our culture and our business world and everything else was starting to go woke. And about a year and a half or so ago, uh, thanks to No Agenda podcast, as well as James Lindsay and others that I was following, uh, I, I, I heard about it enough times that I was like, all right, I got to research this. I got to figure out if there's any legitimacy, legitimacy to these claims, if it's just some like conspiracy theory, woo-woo nonsense, or if it's actually why wokeness is taking over corporate America or the corporate world moreover. And turns out, yeah, it's a real thing. And it's really, really bad and really, really dangerous. Um, and that's why as soon as I kind of wrapped my head around it, I made it a focus of not just my show, but also my speaking engagements where I really wanted to explain to people, like, this is not some virtue signaling nonsense. Like, this is completely remaking the global economy. Like, you know, sometimes people just hear economy and they think, oh, you're just interested in like making money. No, no, no. I'm talking about like, do you have food to put on your table? Do you have energy to warm your house during winter or cool your house during the summer? Like these are all very important aspects that we kind of take for granted. Like the economy is going to deliver that no matter what, right, Reed? Well, not so much. You now see that with the, the Nord Stream pipeline that, that was just blown up. I think that's uh, another area of conspiracy theory that, I, that we could potentially get into. But um, ESG was being pushed in Sri Lanka. The, their government was overthrown. ESG was be put, being pushed broadly in Europe. You now have tremendous uh, cost increases in, in utilities as much as 7 to 10x in Germany, 7 to 10x on your utility bills. Imagine, you know, my old house in, in San Diego, I paid like 400 bucks a month for electricity because I had this huge house and it was very old. So it costs a lot to air condition. Imagine if I was all of a sudden I was paying $2,500 a month just to, you know, run the AC or the heater. I mean, these are exorbitant, extraordinary price hikes and ESG plays a part of it. And, and people don't realize that like this has real world consequences. If you, if you think that you can just migrate away from not just fossil fuels, but also nuclear power, which is what Germany did. They, during the teeth of an oncoming recession, as, as well as the potential for World War III, as well as shortages of oil and gas, they closed down their remaining nuclear power plants. And now they've left themselves at the mercy of Vladimir Putin and Russia because that was their primary uh, you know, source of importing oil and gas. And now, because someone blew up the Nord Stream pipeline, that's not even on the table. So, uh, I mean, we can go a lot deeper, but I, I think I've I've given a, a broad enough explanation as to why it's such a big problem. A lot of people have noticed that corporations have done things that seem to be against their economic interest. They keep pushing for products that the people that that their customers don't like, whether it's you know woke 
TV series or just, you know, products that no one's going to buy. And this is really a byproduct of ESG, right? Because it, instead of uh, shareholders and customers of stakeholders that they're trying to satisfy. Well, it's not even that they're trying to satisfy stakeholders as much as they're trying to appeal to local governments. And the local governments have bought, you know, hook, line and sinker into the entire ESG narrative. So it's like, it's not just enough to focus on the environment either. I think that's the thing that most people don't realize the extent of how far this reaches. Like, this isn't just about, okay, don't put out a racist movie, which like, as if that was a problem anyways, right? <laughs> it's more like, does this, does this product help alleviate sexual inequality in your country? You know, like, like what? I'm just selling fucking deodorant. Like, why do I have to focus on remedying all that ails society? This is nonsense. Um, and it's, it's not just the product itself, but more, more often the marketing tactics that come off completely unappealing to the consumer. But I don't want to make it sound as if this is entirely ESG. This is also a product of academia and the college kids that are coming out of school and having been indoctrinated in some version of kind of mild Marxism. And they believe that like they're doing God's work, essentially. Like they're all evangelists for this woke religion. And so it doesn't take a lot of push. It's just fascinating. When I when I saw that the CEOs were also pushing it, I knew there was something beyond academia that was making this, you know, this machine move. And what I realized is that because the governments prefer it, they give special treatment to any money managers, any businesses that are pushing this same narrative. So not just the government, but also then the central banks. BlackRock being the biggest money manager on earth with 10 trillion under management they were entrusted with COVID relief funds during lockdowns. Uh, that doesn't happen if they aren't the biggest propagator of ESG on the planet. And I don't think that that's a coincidence. And the the windfall in profits that comes to a company like BlackRock for, for being the biggest proponent of ESG means that there is an incentive that is separate from what consumer consumers want, but it doesn't really matter. Because ultimately, they know that they're going to crush their competition because they're going to get the, the best deals. They're going to get the no-bid contracts from the government. They're going to get access to the Fed window. They're going to get government contracts when it comes to you know, big welfare programs like uh, you know, PPP or, or the, the, the bailouts of small businesses or big businesses, for that matter, during the lockdowns. Like this, There's so much incentive that is stacked on the side of not looking after what the consumer actually wants. It's completely counter to capitalism. It has nothing to do with capitalism. It is a bastardization of if to even pretend that this is capitalism is totally wrong. And that's kind of been my mission is to make sure that like maybe the rest of the world won't wrap their head around this, but the libertarians ought to be able to. And and I I trust you guys that you could you can wrap your head around this and and help me mold the narrative that like because if people don't understand that this isn't capitalism, then they're gonna demand government solutions to it. And you know what that means. I mean, it means more government yeah. overreach. It means more market regulation. It means all these things that we hate. And unfortunately, I think if if the libertarians aren't involved in this discussion, if the Republicans ever do come to power, they're just going to use the state to crush all this stuff when what they ought to be doing is diminishing the state so that this stuff doesn't matter anymore. Like you right. need to abolish the Federal Reserve. You need to stop. You need to limit and shrink dramatically the size of government. As long as you have a government that's bringing in tax receipts of this magnitude, you're going to have deep, deep corruption. And 
crony capitalism. Like it's just an inevitability. So there's only one solution and it's a hard one. I mean, we have to shrink the size of the state. That's it. Yeah. So do you think that there's enough pushback against this? I mean, even though the market is obviously heavily manipulated by ESG, it seems like people are like people were canceling their Netflix at such a large rate that Netflix was like, okay, we're not going to do these dumb shows anymore. Is there enough of that happening? Do you think, or what, what, uh, what actually, you know, short of abolishing the federal reserve and shrinking the government, what needs to happen um, as far as the customers go, do they just need to be really raising hell about how much they hate this or what can people do to really push back on this? Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's all you can do aside from coming to the libertarian argument of we need to abolish the Federal Reserve. So, yeah, I mean, at a minimum, you should not be patroning any business that is pushing this type of stuff. Uh, and, and certainly you should be divesting yourself when it comes to your retirement funds of anyone that is seeking less yield so that they can have better relationships with the government. Like, fuck these people. Do not allow them to manage your money. Uh, you know, BlackRock, State Street, Vanguard, all of the biggest money managers on earth, they unfortunately do manage a huge portion of their investors' capital in this fashion. So I think that, you know, personal divestment, personal decision to not, you know, patron these businesses, those are all big steps in the right direction. And and what's, what is good is that even though the, the Republicans are in some, fat, you know, quasi-fashion using state power to to attack this right now, I think they're doing it in the right way. And you know that it takes a lot for me to admit that the Republicans might be doing something right. But I think they are because what DeSantis and the I forget the governor's name in Louisiana, um, there's a, a handful of states like six or seven that have all written letters to BlackRock and any of the people that manage their pension funds and said, hey, this is counter to what our people's beliefs are. And we don't want you managing our money in this fashion. And we will divest of you if you continue. And it has put enormous pressure, so much so that you know they have a few billion dollars that have been pulled out of BlackRock's management. Like now, keep in mind, they manage ten trillion. You know, will will a few billion be enough? I don't know, but it's kind right. of the beginning beginning of a snowball. And if you can get to some threshold where it starts to become, uh, you know, more cost prohibitive than it is beneficial to these money managers to continue in this fashion, well, then perhaps they will reassess. Yeah. Um, it seems like this has been primarily or not even primarily, basically entirely uh, pushed by the left wing or at least culturally left wing stuff. The only thing that seems to even resemble this on the right is like anti BDS laws or something where you just like the government and, you know, the lack of free speech kind of team up and don't let you say certain things or whatever. But has this always been left wing? And is there any chance that they would reassess, you know, the direction of the culture, like uh, like the arms manufacturers have, or whatever. Do you think it has to be kind of cloaked in this left wing bullshit all the time? I think it has to be left, just simply because, you know, it's it's in its name: environmental, social yeah. justice, governance. Like these are, for, I mean, governance. I guess you could go either way, but for the most part, it from its inception, it it has a tremendous amount of appeal to lefties. So. I think that that was intentional too, because you have this this tendency amongst the left to be very anti-capitalism in the first place. So it's going to appeal to them at its base. And then you add on top of that, now we're going to use big business 
to alleviate all that ails society, including racism and sexism and homophobia and transphobia and environmental damage. I mean, it is it is a masterclass in crafting something that will appeal to a, a large base of people. And unfortunately, it's a large base of people that, in my experience, are not tremendously rational. So, yeah, I don't think it can be used against the right or, or by the right, I should say. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, I don't know if you'll know the answer to this, but uh, I know that um, lots of oil companies have actually worked in bed with green energy companies to basically make it impossible for them to ever be supplanted for massive power production. So they've worked with green companies to get rid of nuclear energy because they know that even though people are going to push for solar panels or wind, it's never going to fulfill the load that is needed. So, you know, oil is always going to have to step in and fill that gap. Do you know if there's any of that type of collaboration going on with this? Is there any big business interest like, oh, this is so retarded, but these people pushing this don't even know. So if we just say that we're just all about green energy, we're actually going to uh, stifle, you know, any sort of progress with nuclear or anything like that. I don't know if you have any answer for that. I, I mean, I, I, I just based off of like logic, it's like, yeah, I mean, that's almost certainly happening. Um, but if it's happening, it's happening largely behind the scenes. And I, I don't have any you know, inside information as to how they've structured it. But it, it's also just a natural pro progression. Like if you see the local regulatory and, uh, you know, environment shifting against oil and gas, but you're this behemoth that has billions of billions of cash, which Exxon and all these other companies do, well, of course, you're going to start to buy up competitors and you're start to lobby in the direction of like, okay, sure, you can have your stupid wind farms because we know that'll never be competition against yeah. us. But nuclear is way too dangerous you know even though we have to kill untold amounts of people to secure our oil supply <laughs> you know right. it's like it's so it's so ridiculous but um yeah i mean it, it certainly verges into the conspiracy realm but i think it's it's also just from a logical analysis it, it seems highly probable yeah so obviously the social and governance part of this uh they want you to ally with certain social causes like black lives matter and uh, using proper pronouns in your bio or whatever. Uh, what about political goals like war, like supporting the war in Ukraine? Is that something that ESG is heavily behind as it well? It, it not not really overtly. It, it certainly shouldn't be based off of you know the the people that it was supposed to appeal to originally, which would have been largely like Greenpeace, anti-war type folks. Right. Um, but what's really impressive about it is like as long as you give lip service and you craft a narrative that that appeals to these people as i said earlier these aren't the most rational voting block in the world you know unfortunately and uh even though i think many of them have their heart in the right place i don't think their heads are in the right place at all and and it seems as if they are more than willing to buy basically whatever marketing program they're sold that comes from all the way from you know exxon mobile being more highly rated than Tesla, you know, like, like you would think that the greenies would be pissed about that. But as long as they're told like Elon Musk is a danger to democracy and he's going to buy Twitter and he's going to spread hate speech, like these people just shut the fuck up. Same thing when it comes to war, you know, they're like, well, sure, we're anti-war, but like Putin's the aggressor. Putin's evil. Putin's a, you know, fascist dictator. Putin right. bought our, uh, bought our president in 2016. Like, you know, like these people just buy whatever bullshit they're sold. So 
I don't know. I don't know if we can actually reach those people, but uh, they are certainly a danger. Yeah, for sure. So do you think uh, the Green New Deal dry run over this winter in Europe is going to wake enough people up? Like uh, I, I saw this video of uh, Greta Thunberg, like talking about how the banks are on our side or something like that. And, you know, it's, it's, she's just so obviously a face to it's kind of like David Hogg with gun control. They're, they're right. just so obviously pawns of the regime pushing for a certain agenda uh, are you hopeful she, she, that she went so far as to say we must save the banks? That's to right. Save yeah. The world like <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> that sounds this like a is... left wing, you know, utopian to me. Oh, I mean, it, it's just like apex neoliberalism, you know, like the just so detached from the root ideology that even you, like even if I disagree with them, I just would never expect these people to be like, we have to save the banks to save the world. Good God. Great. Yeah. No, it's crazy. And when I had James Lindsay on my show, he was saying that these people know they're going to lose and they're or how did he say it? Not necessarily that they know that they're going to lose, but they know they can't lose. Like if they do lose, they're done. They're going to prison forever. So they're just all in on it and they're going to do everything they can to keep this going. But I just you know, we've talked a lot about accelerationism and with all the crazy shit going on, as much as it sucks that people are dying, people are getting hurt at the same time. A lot of people are kind of snapping out of the matrix. I don't I don't think the green energy scam is going to last through the winter in Europe. Like, I, I, don't, I just don't I can't. I mean, so many people are going to die. So many people are going to freeze. Uh, do you think that people are going to wake up finally or <laughs> what do you think? I, well, there's, there's no doubt there will be millions of people that wake up to how dangerous this feel good idea of green energy is not ready for showtime. Like we can't produce enough energy cleanly using anything other than nuclear power <laughs> to keep us alive. Like that's just the fucking facts, Jack. <laughs> yeah. I'll bring out my Joe Biden. Um, so, I think that there's going to be millions of people, but is it a tipping point? Is it a threshold that will actually get protests? I mean, you're already seeing protests in you know Netherlands and France. I mean, it's for a litany of reasons. I think some of them have to do with the skyrocketing uh, energy and utility prices, but I, I don't know enough about it to know if it's like that's the primary driver. If it is, that would give me a lot of hope. If it's if it's not, then you know maybe they need to suffer a little bit longer before they start to really figure it out. Um, but, you know, there's a ton of propaganda. There's a ton of propaganda against these people. So it's going to be hard, man. And I think James is right to a certain extent in that these people do realize, like, there's no backing off. Like, we have, they have right. to run this up until the point that they have complete just hegemonic control dominance of all institutions as well as the government, which I think is why, you know, they any sort of Republican contender is automatically labeled a fascist or a racist or a sexist. It's like they can't have anybody come in. That's not in lockstep with this stuff. And, and I think they realize that like, yeah, you know, if, if some, if a competitor, if an outsider gets in there, a real outsider, not a Donald Trump outsider, um, he can really shake shit up. And, you know, so I don't think they're going to allow it to happen without, you know, just such a clear and present danger from the local populace that like this cannot be sustained. Like you will have absolute rebellions on your hand globally. I'm talking not in America. I'm not threatening anything. I'm just saying globally, you're going to see people rise up in ways that we have really not seen in our lifetimes. And you already started to see it during the lockdown period. People are already pissed. And, you know, I think that to some extent, 
the 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 potential for World War Three is trying to distract people from all of the anger that's coming out over the unjustifiable vaccine mandates and things like that as the the evidence becomes more and more clear that once again the libertarians were right uh i think that they're they're doing everything in their power to keep us distracted from the facts which is why i i kind of use my twitter as like yo this is the thing this is the important thing like i, I i've been hammering the world war three thing i hammered the lockdown thing I hammer the ESG thing. Like those are the things that matter. Like everything else is kind of window dressing the culture war. You know, I, I understand why people are concerned about the indoctrination that their kids are receiving in public schools, but just get your kid the fuck out of there and then focus on the things that matter. Like you got to get them out of there. There's no, there's no saving that system. So I don't know if you, if people understand that, I, I don't understand why they're still so, so concerned with, you know, drag, drag queen score story hour and shit like that. Yeah, no, it's a it's a I don't know, it's a kind of complex, but also kind of simple thing that's going on here with all the mind control and all the I mean, indoctrinating people and then, you know, the forced propaganda to try to get them to care about certain things. And then the coercion of companies to push certain agendas. When you step back, you can really see all of it happening and it all kind of makes sense uh, to switch gears a little bit since I've got a former real estate mortgage broker on. What do you think? about the housing market. I mean, I know interest rates are going up. They're double what they were last year in this area. Uh, do you think we're on the horizon of another 2008 style housing market crash? I mean, we're, we're not on the the same trajectory, but it, it does rhyme, if that makes any sense. Um, because we don't have the massive utilization of adjustable rate mortgages, you're not going to have a bunch of people that are in their houses as the market declines that their their payment adjusts upwards and they can't afford it and they just walk away. So you're not going to have that same flood of inventory that hits the market that just collapses prices so you know rapidly. Um, you also had the foreclosure and eviction moratorium, which kept a lot of inventory off, off the market that should have been. So you have a shortage of inventory, but you now have a rapidly declining amount of demand because people can't afford housing at these at these prices because the interest rates have spiked and now your payment is essentially doubled it's like well of course you know if i was going to buy a five hundred thousand dollar house and the payment was going to be three grand well yeah i can i can swing that well now it's fifty five hundred like good luck <laughs> so that that's uh it's it's major headwinds for the the real estate market i, I can't predict the you know the precipitous nature of the decline, other than to say that I believe that there will be a decline. I believe that it's already happening in many markets. Um, it's, but it, it's going to kind of be more of a local issue where like, does the inventory flood heavily enough? Do people start to panic sell because of inflation? You know, can they not afford to pay their, their groceries or their mortgage or anything like that because of inflation? So all of a sudden they decide, well, this is, we still have $300,000 of equity in this thing. We better sell it while we can. Well, what if 10 million people decide that all in a 12 month period? Like that's a problem right. <laughs> if that happens. So it, it's, it's interesting because like you have these two pressures, you have the inflationary pressures, and then you also have a kind of a shitty economy pressure. And, and the Fed is kind of stuck in a rock and a hard place that they fucking put themselves in. I don't have any sympathy for them. Don't get it twisted. But they essentially have to decide, are they going to create a deflationary bust or are they going to allow inflation to run hot? So far, they have they have chosen to create a deflationary bust. It looks like that's what the Fed is committed to doing and they have not relented so far. Now, people should be paying attention to the first meeting in November for the Federal Reserve where they will 
uh, give updated guidance as to what they intend to do in the remainder of the year, you know, going into 2023. So I think that'll tell us a lot. You know, if they they were planning, I think, a three quarter or a full point hike in November, if they come in light, if they do a half point hike or a quarter point hike, uh, that means that they're seeing the writings on the wall that that the 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 busts that are starting to happen in the the banking system over in Europe and things like that, uh, they may they may reverse course. So. I honestly, I kind of hope they do a little bit <laughs> just because I think it's going to get real, real ugly if they don't. So we'll see. Yeah, I remember the first time I had you on my show, we were talking about this. And there's so many there's so many more variables right now than there were in 2008. I mean, 2008 was mostly due to artificially low interest rates. So people were buying up more houses than they could afford. There wasn't I mean, the economy did go through a rough spot, but there wasn't asset price inflation like there is now this we haven't had this type of inflation exactly. for 40 years and there wasn't world war three happening you know yeah. on the brink so there's like way more shit going on now well, not, to, not to mention the social you know uh tension that we have here like 2008 sure. we were fucking hunky-dory comparatively yeah no exactly and the first time i had you on i was asking you if this was going to be an inflationary or deflationary crisis because um you know I, I listened to peter schiff a lot and he I mean, I, I love Peter, but uh, you got to take what he says with a grain of salt. Sometime you were saying you actually thought it was going to be a deflationary that they were actually going to try to crack down and raise interest rates. And it seems like you're right that they are heading that way. So what can people do or what should people do to prepare for either? You know, I mean, they could reverse course and start uh, chasing inflation again instead of trying to crack down. But what would you suggest people try to do to keep their powder dry so that they're ready for the incoming crisis? Well, I mean, accumulate more powder. Uh, I, I, I told people on Liberty Lockdown, you know, December, January, uh, that going to cash is uh, something you should be considering. And, and I, I hope some people did that. I hope some people took some profits off the table, both in the crypto market, as well as the real estate market, as well as the stock market, bond market, every market is fucked up. So, I hope people did that. You know, at this point, it's very hard to say if if we're looking at another 20 or 30 percent or 50 percent decline in the broader market or if we're kind of at a an inflection point where if the Fed does reverse policy that you might see another bull run. Um, it's probably a, a bear trap, as they call it. But it doesn't mean that like you may not want to you may want to participate in it. So I can't give people individualized advice. It's obviously going to come down to your investment level and and your knowledge and also your risk metrics and whether or not you can actually take swings like that. Um, I personally am of the opinion that, you know, buying real estate at this point would be fucking insane because you haven't seen the softening that's necessary to justify these elevated interest rates. Um, so I, if I was looking for an inflation hedge, I would be looking at Bitcoin personally. Um, but you know, gold and silver are also beat to death. So there's probably some value there. And, uh, there's probably some stocks that are, are value buys at this level, but it's really not my focus. So I, I won't even pretend to give any advice there. Yeah, for sure. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I, you know, I feel like a lot of people didn't pay attention to economics at all, whether they were in school and then just in general, once they got out of school, but it's something that really matters. Now I remember, when I was in high school, I just didn't give a shit about any of it. I think I got a 72 because I just didn't pay attention <laughs> at all. It's funny. The same with like uh, citizenship and law, things that I, I just did not give a shit about in high school. And now that's what my show is mostly about. Economics I know that's hilarious. Citizenship man. and law. 
Um, goes to show but, how bad the teachers are if they can't oh get someone God. who has this inclination to be interested in those topics. <laughs> no, uh, but it really does matter. And luckily, I started paying attention in 2019 before everything went completely to shit. Um, yeah, so let's switch gears a little bit again. You, uh, We were talking about this earlier a little bit, but you made a tweet a few days ago asking why we haven't initiated a giant anti-war rally in Washington, D.C., and marched inside the Capitol building. Just kidding. He didn't say that part. Um, <laughs> but uh, I thought it was great that you put that tweet out. And uh, I, I want you to expand on that idea a little bit. Like, what 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 are you envisioning? What would you like to see happen? Well, first off, let me explain the why. You know, the why is there's nothing more important than this. And there, at this point, I think that there's a belief because of the narrative control that we suffer under social media and the media itself, the news, the political class, that there is no anti-war sentiment in this country. And I think that it's important that people see it, whether they agree with us or not. I would like them to see that there are people in this country that are adamantly opposed to escalating war with Russia, adamantly. And unless we get in the street, you know, it's only going to be our ecosystem that hears it, our, our bubble, the, you know, the Tom Woods, Dave Smith, you and I bubble like the, the people will obviously know that we're all opposed to this shit. But like, I, I, I would think it would be important that the the broader public understands that, like, not everybody's on board with this insane plan. OK, and and hopefully we can wake enough people up that it starts to become politically untenable to continue to escalate this because we are in an escalation trap right now and because we're ran by fucking lunatics. And I just want to stop it. And if, you know, from a marketing perspective. If we're lucky enough to avoid World War III, I would like the Libertarian Party to hold the banner of being the anti-war party that's left in this country because neither party has stood up and pushed back against this continued push for escalation with a fucking the biggest nuclear power on Earth aside from America. So I think that the same way I felt about lockdowns, that's how I feel about this. Uh, the same way I felt about vaccine mandates, that's how I feel about this. We should be early. We are right. We should let the world know it. And that's about as simple as it gets. So I want to see the courage. I know it's unpopular. So the coming out against lockdowns in summer 2020 was also unpopular. Coming out against vaccine mandates in 2021 was unpopular. We were right every time. Know that we're right and fucking act with courage. So that's what I would like to see the Libertarian Party do because one, it's the most important thing. And literally life as itself changes dramatically if we fail in this mission. So part two. It's also good for the party <laughs> more broadly if, if we survive. Yeah. So um, <laughs> that's my why. As to what I would like to see, I mean, I would love to see 10,000 people marching about anti-war shit. You know, like I don't even care what your beliefs are aside from that. I don't care. Nothing else matters if nukes fly. So let's bring it together, man. The same way it's kind of a bipartisan push when you when you go to a Julian Assange rally, this should be something that all sane human beings can get behind and it's now or never man i, I really think that this is going to escalate to a very dangerous level i mean it's already there like you could have a miscommunication you could have a radar blip that confuses the russians and a fucking nuke flies like anything can go wrong at any moment and that's how dangerous this shit is and our fucking political class the dangerous deranged demons that they are have put us in this position for their own political you know fucking money money laundering operation or whatever other justifications they have and i'm sick of it and i, I just want to have my voice heard man it's it's like 
I'm pissed. <laughs> yeah, just to point to what you're saying about how easily this could all kick off. I don't know. I forget the guy's name, but a Russian sailor during the Cuban Missile Crisis said no when his commanding officer told him to launch nukes, and that could have been, or I forget if it was nukes or a missile, uh, just a, just a regular balloon. I forget what type of projectile it was, but it could have set off nuclear yeah. war. And he just said no. If he hadn't said no, <laughs> you know, we'd be in a very different spot now. So it doesn't take much. I mean, I've been the guy. We probably wouldn't be in a different spot. We wouldn't be in a spot at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There'd be no spot to be. Um, I mean, I'm a guy who's actually talked about, like, maybe it's, you know, if we have nukes, maybe it's better that every country has one just so there's, like, this deterrent or whatever. But that all goes out the window as soon as someone fires a freaking nuke. So. Um, yep. This is no joke. It really mutually could. assured destruction doesn't really work if you have fucking idiots at the helm. Yeah, it doesn't work if the destruction part happens. So, <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you, man. I want to see this happen. And <clears throat> the thing is, like about it being unpopular, like even dumb shit that has taken off and become part of the zeitgeist wasn't popular at a time. Like there was a time when the idea medicare for all was extremely fringe on the democrat side you know it's like what what are you talking about that's crazy that's socialism but look at the bernie sanders 2016 movement like how that pushed that idea into the zeitgeist and then like the build the wall thing it's kind of dumb too but same thing like it doesn't matter it's just like you and it was unpopular too like he got all sorts of shit for it but he got out there started saying it um and really you know pushed people into supporting it so just because something's unpopular doesn't mean that we can't like really start an important movement. And, um, you know, so many of the unpopular I've... thing is the most important thing to fucking talk about. So, you know, who cares? Right. Exactly. I mean, when I was at this Julian Assange event, it was probably 90, maybe even 95 percent leftist. And, you know, they were nice enough to have me uh, or I didn't speak, but they had Spike Cohen, Eliza Blue, uh, Dave DeCamp speak, nice. which was great. But um. It's so embarrassing that these things aren't started by libertarians. You know, I would love, like you're saying, like a libertarian initiated anti-war rally. And then we could invite the leftists to come speak instead of the other way around. It's always end the damn wars. It's a, some leftist thing where they might invite a couple yeah. libertarians. Like, come on, this is our thing. You know, we are the anti-interventionist, anti-government, anti-coercion, anti-theft, anti-murder people that's just what we're about so we should absolutely be leading the charge on this so then if we invite you know abby martin and jill stein to come speak at the event great but it would be amazing like also to your point if we end up surviving and no nukes fly and this you know this country lasts for a long time into the future it's a great way to spearhead the whole movement and the party and really push uh you know people toward us so i, I love it man i think it's all great yeah, and and especially say we do end up in a in a, a hot war, but it doesn't go nuclear by some by the grace of God, right? And we still have millions of people that die, millions of soldiers, the EU, NATO soldiers, Russian soldiers, Ukrainian soldiers, American soldiers. Like it could get to that for sure. It could. Um, do you want to be known as someone who just like screamed into a microphone about it? Like I don't. Like I want to be known as someone who did everything in my fucking power to let the world know that there are Americans that oppose this deeply. So that's kind of like my priority in the next, I don't know, couple months, year, whatever. Uh, hopefully this thing doesn't escalate really rapidly and get completely out of hand. It's already, it's escalating very rapidly. So I, I don't, I honestly have no idea how much time we have to like 
try and do something like this. Um, but I just think it's it's like it's incumbent upon us, man. Like there's there's really nothing else that matters. The economy, the social shit, the strife, everything else. Like it's all so irrelevant compared to this. And you know, maybe it's just because I read Hotter in the Hotter Than the Sun, Scott's new book over the summer that I I I'm feeling this on a really deep level, but it's like, there is no, I told you so on this one, like libertarians, we get everything right, but all we get in return is the ability to say, I told you so. And there is no, I told you so if we have nuclear war. So we have to be in front of this. We cannot be behind it. And I don't know. I haven't, I haven't heard back from LP national, but I hope that after this, you know, maybe there's something in the works and I don't know. And uh, I will absolutely be there wherever it is, whenever it is. Yeah, man. Well, I remember, do you remember last year uh, we raised like $30,000 to make an ad about vaccine mandates and like a month later it finally came out and it was super yeah. gay. Yep. And then in the meantime, Spike Cohen and Dan Smots teamed up and said, oh, let's just make an ad. And it was a million was times banger. better. <laughs> and it got so many more views and got so many people fired up. And I remember talking to Spike about it afterward and I think actually, I think it was actually on Tower Gang. Ironically, he was saying, um, you know, you, the Libertarian Party is a bureaucracy, regardless of who runs it. Like it's better now, but still technically a bureaucracy, and you can't like wait on the whole party to get behind something. And um, I, I think this is really cool, and I'm willing to network with you and try to get it to get sure. going. So anyone who's watching this, who likes this idea like i think we should just start it up from the ground up and i'm sure the party will get behind it if we have some sort of structure to yeah build just us around just hit reader eye up and and let us know like i the problem is i don't have any organizational expertise I, i've never done anything like that so like i would rather someone that knows how to do it like i can i'm happy to use my contacts to try and you know bring in speakers or whatever i can to to make this happen but as far as like the actual organization and marketing of it and stuff like that i just it's it's really above my pay grade so i hope that there's someone listening i'm sure there are some people that are more in the activist realm obviously i was more in the entrepreneurial you know talk shit realm um you know let's division of labor if you're an expert in this stuff let us know yeah for sure totally so uh clint you've really blown up over the last couple months i'm real happy for you but you've had Thanks, uh all sorts of crazy large view shows that you've done, like tons of people watching and you're supposed to have Alex Jones on soon. Um, oh my God. I hope. <laughs> yeah. He's given you the Tulsi Gabbard treatment that I got. Um, but, uh, Oh, by the way, everyone, Tulsi actually did write me back finally uh, a couple days ago. And she said, I'm going to be starting my podcast soon and I'll be able to do other people's podcasts as well. And I was like, Oh, soon. What does that mean? But then she actually started a podcast today. So, yep. There's actually some promise there, so that might end up happening. Um, actually, yeah, what do you think about, like, um, a lot of people have asked me about Tulsi Gabbard, what I think, and I'm like, I mean, she has gone back and forth on so many different things. Like, it looks like she's trying to flip her position on guns now and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, like, I, I don't need to trust somebody in, I mean, for everything. Like, I think in some ways, even if, you don't necessarily know if someone is genuine or not. They can be weaponized to push a certain agenda regardless. So sure. the fact that she's on Tucker Carlson every night, like talking about how we shouldn't go into World War Three, I think that's great. And that doesn't just go for her. That goes for 
um, you know, people on the right too, who I might not Lit- really literally think anyone who's opposed anybody, to World War III. I'm good. Yeah, with. who's pushing it? Yeah. <laughs> but what are your thoughts? Uh, you know, I don't know. I, it's kind of similar to the debate you and I have been having in private about Blake Masters and whether or not his his legacy belief system is his true being or if his modern iteration where he's running as a mega candidate is who he is. And I don't think we'll know. And I think that's how I feel about Tulsi. It's kind of the inverse where she's getting closer to us, whereas Blake is getting further away from us, at least rhetorically. Uh, I have no fucking clue, man. I have no clue what either of these people really believe. And that's the unfortunate nature of politics is that like, because it's popular to run as a MAGA candidate. I can look at Blake's writing from 15 years ago and go like, God, I would love to see a guy like that in the Senate. But then based off his campaign trail, I'm like, eh, you know, whatever. I don't really care. And uh, I just don't know. I I, honestly, I have no idea. I wish I did. Yeah, no, it's, I don't know. We're not exactly in the position to, (laughs) it sucks. Like the whole beggars can't be choosers thing. You know, like I, I mean, my vision of the Libertarian Party, um, like here in New Hampshire, Jeremy Kaufman is polling around 5%, depending on what the poll is. And there's this guy, Don Baldick, who's running as a Republican, and he's about that far behind Maggie Hassan. And I feel like we should just be extorting the hell out of him and saying, like, look, if you want us to, I'm actually hopefully having him on the show next week. I talked to his uh his campaign today so they were going to get in contact with me but i'm going to make this case to him when i have him on the show like look this is who i am this is what i want what can you promise me and not necessarily that i'll even do it but it gives us some sort of a platform to stand from and be like hey this is what we want you better give it to us like if you want our support um i think that's like the the most power we have you know i mean it's the short run power play absolutely but like if you have something that's that important, it's worth expending that political capital to try and achieve it, right? Exactly, like if, yeah. If, if, because we are the difference maker in so many gubernatorial and senatorial and congressional races nationwide, uh, I mean, we make up the spread at least, we ought to be turning to either the Democrat or the Republican and saying, are you adamantly opposed to continuing to provide military and financial aid to Ukraine in this war? Because if you are, we will have a serious consideration as to whether or not we'll step down and endorse you. But if you're not, you can get fucked and we're going to burn your campaign to the ground metaphorically. Mm-hmm. I, I think that that's like, that to me is something that's meaningful enough that it would be worth expending that capital. Now we're going to have lots of debates about this and people are going to get really upset because they're going to say, well, what about we could clear 5% and then we get on the ballot and we don't have to, it's like, all right, yeah, I get it. I get it. I understand it's an exchange. What's more important? You know, like what is really more important and can you actually have some semblance of belief that these people will follow through on their promises? If you don't, if you have no assurance whatsoever, well then screw it, you know, just do what you got to do. But I think if they're, if they're willing to publicly state that they are in our camp on maybe one or two big things that we value most, uh, this is kind of the, the Kurt, the libertarian strategy of like, yeah. This is this is the game now. Like we are we are the kingmaker or the kingbreaker. And when things are this important, I think it's worth playing that card. When you're in a state where, you know, both candidates are super pro-war, then just run and try and crush them. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, in 2020, <clears throat> I wish we'd had like a really, really strong 
campaign because then it could have really been a statement that we could make like look trump you want us to vote for you you better pull out of afghanistan now and free julian assange and pardon edward snowden and you know whatever give him five things that we want right now that you could do and then okay then we'll get out of your way but um i think dave i mean had dave been running in 2020 i think we could have pulled that card like the julian assange and snowden and uh albrecht and you know maybe maybe getting out of the war maybe getting further assurances that and, and and to be honest like i'm not at all certain that we would be in this this conflict i'm not at all certain that russia would have invaded ukraine if trump was still president like there are lots of questions i'm not saying that it, it would have been prevented but it's a possibility yeah. um i mean there's yeah there's lots of things to have considered what what could have been uh, but yeah. we don't have that luxury we got to we got to get it right moving forward now exactly totally agree man well thanks for coming on my show again um like i said clint's blowing up make sure you go follow him at his youtube channel any final thoughts or anything you got coming up that you really want to plug or um, sure last message about avoiding a nuclear holocaust they have for the audience (laughs) yeah i mean i think i've driven that point home uh, repetitively and as strongly as i possibly can nothing else matters like this is we all have to be on the same team here uh, on humanity's team as far as i'm concerned so if you agree don't be scared to tell people you know start to talk start to create a dialogue where it's this has nothing to do with russia or putin or our affinity for him this is about making sure that humanity gets to survive and thrive into the future okay <laughs> like that's really all there is to it and if you want a really good hour long synopsis as to why this conflict is very complicated i would highly encourage not just the libertarians to watch but to share with your non-libertarian friends my episode which airs at 10 p.m eastern tonight on liberty lockdown on youtube the audio version's out now it's called uh the war that they wanted or the war they wanted and uh i think that that'll make a very strong case to at least open people's minds and eyes to the potential that this is a much more complicated much more dirty affair than we have been allowed to know and certainly allowed to discuss. Uh, also, end of this month, I will have on Dr. Joseph Ladapo, who is the Surgeon General of Florida. That should be a really good episode, so I hope people check it out. Thanks so much for having me, man. Yeah, of course. By the way, is this, in fact, true? Is it your birthday today? <laughs> no, or is what is this an inside joke I'm missing? I don't, I don't know, dude. I, who knows what Hector's talking about? Yeah, well, happy birthday anyway for whenever. <laughs> I'm, I'm embarrassed you're my ex-husband. I don't even know when your birthday is. So. It was two months ago. Don't sweat it. <laughs> okay. I'll get you a present next year. All right, right, guys. Yeah, go subscribe to Liberty Lockdown on YouTube and Spotify and all that. I got his link tree linked in the description. Um, I'll be coming on again sometime this week. Got kind of busy week, but I'll be back and I'll catch you on the next stream.